The title of this morning's sermon is Behold Our Creator God. Behold Our Creator God. And so we are going to behold our Creator God. The purpose of this message is to behold our Creator God from Genesis to Revelation. I want you to understand and fully grasp the reality that God is declared to be Creator and celebrated as Creator and worshipped as Creator and honored as Creator, proclaimed as Creator from Genesis to Revelation. And in that understanding, thus see that Genesis chapters 1 and 2 are not optional. That the creation account in Genesis is not optional. That the teaching of Scripture regarding God being our Creator is not optional. This is not ground to be given up. This is the foundation of all of God's revelation of Himself. How dare we tell God that we would reject that foundation and tell man that we're happy to receive his naturalistic, pseudo-scientific foundation or explanation, godless explanation for the origin of the cosmos and life in it. How dare we substitute the atheist worldview for the biblical Christian worldview and yet claim to be believers in God, claim to be Christians, claim to believe the Bible? How dare we mythologize God's creation account and God as creator and yet claim Jesus as Savior, crucified, buried, and resurrected as fact? Both are facts. All that's within God's Word is fact. And we, as those who have confessed Christ as Lord, must receive it as fact. John D. Morris, in his book, The Young Earth, opened up with this statement in his foreword. He says, There are only two basic worldviews, the God-centered worldview and the man-centered worldview, creation or evolution. Only two worldviews. And if you have a God-centered, biblical worldview, then you see the world, you observe the world, scientifically and otherwise, through the lens of Holy Scripture, through the lens of your God-centered worldview. You see God's Word is true, thus you put on your biblical glasses and you observe God's Word. If you take off your biblical glasses and put on the naturalist glasses, naturalism, rejecting all that is supernatural, rejecting God as creator, naturalism, the position of the atheist, the starting point of atheists, when you put on their glasses, you always arrive at their conclusions. When you observe God's creation, you don't any longer see God's creation, you now see a cosmos created with a bang and creatures created by accident and by suffering and death over millions of years of time. Billions, in fact. John Morris goes on to say, the facts of science oppose evolutionism. I've got to pause him there. He doesn't say evolution. He says evolutionism. What does that mean? What's the difference? Well, when you call evolution, evolution, you're giving it some credence to being an actual scientific 
concept or theory. When you call evolution evolutionism, you're saying it's a faith. It's a religion. It's not built upon scientific fact, but faith. The facts of science oppose evolutionism, and most people see this once these facts are shown to them. There is no evidence whatever, past, present, or possible, that vertical evolution of one kind of organism into a more complex kind of organism has ever occurred or ever can occur. And the more I have studied over the years and in recent months, the more I am convinced utterly and wholly of that truth. He says, once again, there is no evidence whatever. So all the supposed evidence is false. And much of it is consciously falsified. Willfully, consciously falsified. A deception. A vast hoax. There is no evidence, whatever, past, present, or possible, that vertical evolution of one kind of organism into a more complex kind of organism has ever occurred or ever can occur. John Morris. Dennis Peterson gives us a list of the alternatives that are at stake between those two worldviews. The worldview of God's Word, the worldview of trusting and believing God, or the worldview of atheism and naturalism and Big Bang cosmology and evolution to follow. What are the alternatives that are at stake? It's divine creation versus spontaneous generation, a cosmos from nothing, an uncaused cosmos. It's purposeful design versus random accidental order. Now, one of these defies logic. One of these is not like the other. It's intricate order versus chaotic mistakes that look a lot like deliberate, designed, intricate order. It's an infinite God, right? An infinite God with infinite power and infinite wisdom behind the cosmos and all life in it. And that makes sense. That's good logic. That's good science even. Or infinite odds. Not an infinite God, but infinite odds. Chance becomes God. Chance. Given enough time, chance will bring about all that we see. That's the naturalist, atheistic worldview. Life from life, which is in accordance with the law of biogenesis. All life comes from life. There are no known exceptions. Versus life from non-life. Life from lifeless material. And that's a fiction, saints. And that contradicts known laws of the universe. God as creator, time and chance as creator. Entropy versus evolution. Entropy is scientifically verifiable that all things are wearing down. Usable energy is being used up. Eventually the universe will get quite chilly. Entropy versus evolution. Not winding down, but winding up. Things are getting more complex. It's an evolving cosmos and an evolving life forms within it. Again, that goes against science. 
catastrophe versus gradualism. The Bible records a great catastrophe that occurred historically and a great catastrophe that's coming yet in the future. And the word of God is contradicted by the gradualism that demands that all, all processes continue in the same time frame as they always have. But interestingly enough, gradualism or uniformitarianism ultimately contradicts the evidences that we see in creation as well. Just one little tidbit on that. If this planet was as old as they say it is, 4.5 billion years old, then all of this planet's surface land would long, 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 long ago, they estimate, I think, 14 million years, would have been brought down to sea level. It would have eroded away. When you need immense amounts of time, vast amounts of time, in order to fuel or empower your magical creation of life, and then the subsequent evolution of it, that time contradicts what we actually see. Meaning, these rocks get worn down by wind. These rocks get worn down by rain. Just take a drive out the gorge. Take a drive across any desert. What you find when you drive out the gorge or you drive down through bend, you find lava rocks. You find mountains that long ago should have been worn down that are quite sharp and still have those bubbles in them from when the lava first hardened and they long ago should have been rounded out and yet they look like they just were blown out of a volcano last week and landed on the earth. Dear saints, this earth is thousands of years old, not millions and certainly not billions. While they claim gradualism, they Don't submit to it, because even by their own accounts, there are a great many evidences of a young universe by the timelines of gradualism. Another alternative at stake, we have a true Bible or we have true theories of men. The two do not find peace with each other. We have God's purpose in the biblical worldview, and we have no purpose, a purposeless cosmos, a purposeless existence within it, purposeless life that soon will be snuffed out by some random accident. In the biblical worldview, we have absolutes. In the atheistic naturalist worldview, everything is relative. There is no absolute truth. There is no absolute right or wrong, good or evil. It's all relative. Next, relatively young earth, extremely old earth, obviously. A difference in worldview there. Civilization from the start. The Word of God is clear that God created man and woman with intellect and the ability to communicate with language. They weren't grunting and pulling worms out of the earth. They were intelligent. They were communicating And soon thereafter, they had a civilization. From one man and woman came a civilization. And they began to write things down. They had oral and written language. Civilizations from the start versus the slow development of civilization and evolution of civilization and language. Next, the... Degenerate man, the Word of God is clear, a biblical worldview, man is degenerate, man is fallen, 
Man is not getting better, but worse. And obviously the worldview of Star Trek, right? Humanism is that man's getting better, not just evolving, getting better. The worldview of X-Men, right? We're getting better. Soon we're going to have superpowers. It's going to be amazing. You just never know which one of your children is going to be born with superpowers. You just watch them in the crib and, oh, wow, right? That's a fiction, saints. Not going to happen. Man's not getting better, but getting worse. Ever since Adam and Eve, when sin entered into God's perfect and good creation, right? We've come together, a man and woman in marriage or not, unfortunately, at times. But a man and woman comes together in marriage and they have offspring. And this offspring, unfortunately, now has genetic error in its code. And so over time, those errors increase. And we find that we're not, in fact, getting better, but getting worse. And finally, and very importantly, the biblical worldview gives a future hope, a certain future hope. And the naturalist, atheistic worldview is hopelessness and despair. And you find that in all honest, naturalist, atheistic writings, you find that hopelessness and despair. That's all there is at the end of that road. Because there's no purpose, there's no reason, there's no design, there's no right, there's no wrong, there's no good, there's no evil, there's no eternity. Not that any human beings will exist in anyhow. There may be an eternal cosmos in that worldview, but no eternity for human beings in that so-called eternal cosmos. So these are the alternatives at stake. These are diametrically opposed worldviews, and yet many Christians have tried to pull that naturalist worldview, that atheist worldview, into the Bible and into Christ's church and into their own Christian life and heart. And saints, you must excise, cut out that unbiblical worldview as a cancer within you. A cancer that will destroy your faith, destroy your hope, destroy your conviction, destroy your ability to communicate God's word effectively to be a blessing to your fellow man. There's much at stake between these two worldviews. Again, the title of this message, Behold Our Creator God. Do not forsake your Creator God because Darwin said this is the mechanism of how life began and life developed and life became you. From Remember, from the goo to the zoo to you? Darwin showed up and said, this is how you came from the goo, went to the zoo, and now you're you sitting in my lecture in my local university. And since I'm the professor and you're the student and you're just goo after all, you should listen, right? That's Darwin and all of his followers. But saints, we, we must behold our Creator God. We must behold Him in His glory and, and celebrate Him in His glory and rejoice in Him in His glory and reject the pseudoscience, the science falsely so-called, the knowledge falsely so-called of our naturalistic, atheistic friends. Oh, we love them. And we want them to come to God and have peace with God through repentance of unbelief. And their repentance of unbelief is not just repentance of unbelief of Jesus who came, suffered, and died, and rose again, but of Jesus who created the heavens and the earth. 
in six literal days. And then entered in to the heavens and earth in the form of mankind, taking upon himself the additional nature of mankind. The Creator took upon himself the nature of creature. Fully God, fully man. He came into this world to suffer and die for sinners. And he rose again on the third day, conquering sin and death, and ascended on high and sits at the right hand of the Father until the time that he comes back to bring judgment upon mankind and to destroy this universe and to recreate it in a moment. In a moment. That's the God of the Bible. That's the God we worship. That's the God we worshiped today with hymn and song. The Creator God. Don't let Darwin, don't let evolution, don't let Big Bang cosmology, don't let naturalism, don't let our atheist friends steal the glory of God from your heart and from your mind and from your Bible. Behold our Creator God. Now, we're going to get on the Bible bus. The Bible bus has to move fast. We've got a lot of stops. You ever been on one of those tours? All right, get off, look here, get back in. All right, that's where we're at. It can be fun. It can be fun. But we have to get on, get off, get on, get off, and behold the glory at each stop. Okay, here we go. The Bible bus. Genesis 1, 1. We're going to start at the beginning. The bus door opens. We all come out. Behold, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Saints, that is awesome. That's God inviting you to His first act of creation. That's the history of creation. The real history of creation. And God has revealed it to you. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The pre-existent God. The eternal God. The everlasting to everlasting God. The God who depends upon nothing, needs nothing. Created the heavens and the earth from nothing. Ex nihilo. The earth was without form and void and darkness was in the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. There was a moment when there was nothing except God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who had been there from all eternity and will be there for all eternity. But there was a moment when there was nothing. There was no created universe. There was no life other than God Himself. There was no heaven. There was no hell. There were no angels. There was just God. And then, there was everything. (laughs) In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And everything we see, everything we see, on the macro level, on the micro level, and you've heard me say it before, everything in between, everything we see comports with this verse. In the beginning, God, a God of infinite power and infinite wisdom, created the heavens and the earth. That is the only explanation for that which we see. Genesis 1, 21, So God created the great sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which the waters abounded according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was very good. God created the sea creatures. He created every living thing that moves with which the waters abounded. 
does that leave any room for them to slowly evolve, growing in complexity, which again is scientifically impossible, but nor is it biblically possible. No, he created at the beginning the heavens and the earth by divine fiat, ex nihilo, from nothing. Just sheer divine decree. And then he began to create life. Individual complex creatures. And hear me, while Darwin was ignorant and that he thought single-celled organisms were simple, there's nothing simple about a single-celled organism at all. There's nothing simple about a single-celled organism. That is a complete fiction. In fact, single-celled organisms are so complex that while I've been studying them now for weeks, wanting to present to you the complexities of a single-celled organism, I can't wrap my mind around them sufficiently to get my mouth to speak with any clarity. And so I didn't try. I might yet, but not today. Because they're so complex. But hear me, God created the great sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which the waters abounded according to their kind. I've spent over a year of my life at sea in the Marine Corps being ferried about on naval vessels and the ocean is amazing. It's amazing. And the creatures within it are amazing. Now mind you, most of the time I was gazing over the side, not down there with them. And there are those that get to go down there with them. But even what I saw just over the side was amazing. Whether it was the dolphins playing in the wake or the flying fish playing in the wake or the, or the uh, seals swimming by and, and the great white swimming behind them or tiger shark, hard to tell. Amazing. The, the great rays, massive rays swimming by. Amazing. Life abounding. The jellyfish in the Red Sea. Jellyfish like every 12 inches. I don't know if it was jellyfish mating season or what. All I knew is was I was thankful I was not in the water because jellyfish upon jellyfish upon jellyfish upon jellyfish everywhere. And then in another section of the Red Sea, snakes. These snakes everywhere. Again, it seemed like inches apart, just snake upon snake upon snake upon snake upon snake. Amazing. And when I did get opportunity in Seychelles, Africa, this little island nation, I did get an opportunity to go snorkeling. Amazing creatures. Amazing creatures, like barracuda. I kept bumping into them until I thought, what am I doing? (laughs) Eventually, they're going to bump back. I decided to snorkel no more off the coast of Africa. Amazing creatures. There were these little fish in this coral reef, and I was swimming toward it, and they didn't look too threatening. They were kind of cute. But there were a lot of them. And they didn't seem to want me around their coral reef. And I thought, well, they're just little fish. But then they began to nip at me. I thought, oh, well, I'll go the other way. <laughs> Apparently this coral reef is their house and I'm not invited. I'll go the other way. But amazing creatures, a vast variety. It was so hot there off the coast of Africa as I'm snorkeling. I, I got hot in the water, so I stood up to cool off. When I stood up, I stepped on something. And then my leg began to burn. I thought, oh, no, an amazing sea creature I haven't met. I looked down and there were all these tendrils around my legs and I began to try to get them off and I thought, oh no, it's stinging me and it, it wasn't stinging, it was a sea slug and its guts are like super glue and it's ripping the hair off your legs. It's like natural nair <laughs> or waxing. <laughs> God's amazing creatures. But you spend about an hour 
snorkeling off the coast of Africa and you think, what am I doing? This is madness. I don't know these creatures. They may well eat me. I'm done. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which the waters abounded to their kind. You know, we are constantly finding new species. I mean, we're pretty smart and we've been looking a long time, but we still don't know what's in the ocean. We don't know what's in there. We're finding new things all the time, amazing things. You go into the deep, 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 deep sea and the critters down there are weird and freaky. And you, you start watching the shows, and they're all made by evolutionists, and they're trying to explain to you how this thing evolved this way with this little light bobbing in front of its head on a fishing pole so that the other fish come around trying to eat the light, and then the fish with its great big teeth swallows them whole. Right? No, no, that didn't evolve that way. Try to, try to go through the process of how that accidentally, step by step, evolved through mutation. One little mutation at a time. Mind you, these mutations would take a long, long, long time. And so first, this long thing grew on its forehead. It was of no benefit at all, but hey, apparently it stuck around through the species for some time. And then, you know, a single luminescent cell uh, just, just spontaneously erupted on, on that long thing as if it had a mind, as if evolution has a mind, as if chance has a mind. Hear me, design takes a designer. And all of these creatures, all of these creatures, whether in the deep sea or the shallow sea or anywhere in between, they all have an amazing amount of design in them. So much so that we just barely begin to scratch the surface to understand any one of them, much less all of them, and how they work together in an ecosystem. It's amazing. And you should watch it and reject pretty much everything they're saying, right? But behold the glory of God in creation and the sea creatures and in the skies, these birds that traverse the earth following magnetic fields. Yeah, that happened by accident. You bet it did. Do you know there are simple, simple, quote unquote, single-celled organisms that have magnets in them that somehow create magnets within them? I told you I wasn't going to talk about the complexities of simple-celled organisms, but I'll just... I'll just barely touch that. But they don't just create the magnets within them. They create them and they align them and then they follow magnetic pulses and whatnot in the earth as well. I mean, it's just amazing. And yeah, all that happened by accident. No. Now, none of it is explicable by chance or time. So God created sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which the waters abounded according to their kind. Now, we're going to unpack all that in weeks ahead, but I'm just introducing you to your God, your creator, and we got to hurry the bus up. Genesis 1, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, right? We need someone to swim with these fishes to behold the glory, but they're not fishes. Sorry. We need someone to swim with the fish to behold the glory of the fish that God created. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Man alone is created in the image of God. You're not a glorified monkey. You didn't come from the zoo. There is no connection between us and monkeys. Is there similar design structurally? Yes, but monkeys are monkeys. Monkeys are like dogs and pigs and parakeets and rats. Monkeys are monkeys. Now, I don't support the abuse of any creature, nor do I support the elevation of any creature to mankind. The fictional idea that some creatures are closer to mankind, thus should be given 
the rights of mankind. There's constant talk of that not being humane when it comes to creatures. Well, unless the creature is a human, I'm not concerned whether it's humane or not. I am concerned whether we're honoring God's creation and being good stewards of it, or whether we're being compelled by some cruel sin in us to torture one of God's creatures. I'm concerned about that. But the idea of it being humane, well, it's not a human being. And that line's gotten very fuzzy. Mankind alone is created in the image of God. Didn't evolve, and then God put His Spirit in them, and then they became mankind, became human beings. No, He created them in the image of God at the beginning. And that's a non-negotiable, non-negotiable truth. Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea. You have dominion over the fish of the sea. You want to fish in a fish tank? Go for it. You want to fish on your plate? Go for it. Now, should you overfish a certain population and wipe them from the face of the earth? That's not being a good steward. That's a difference. But is that inhumane? No, the fish isn't a human. And contrary to what you see on the deck of the Millennial Falcon, fish don't become human-like. Or generals in the rebel army. There's a message there. That's not just a fun fiction. There's a message there. It's a naturalist, big bang cosmologist, evolutionist message. Fish are people too. No, they're not. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him male and female. He created them non-negotiable. Male and female, he created them. I saw a picture this last week of this t-shirt that was... Uh, mocking the idea of there being two genders and celebrating an infinite number of genders and whatnot. And then over on the side, um, the t-shirt was available uh, in uh, male fashion or female fashion. (laughs) Just two. (laughs) And all of God's saints said, (laughs) amen. Genesis chapter 2, verse 1, Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. God finished His creative act. You get to Genesis 2, verse 1, all the critters are created, all the cosmos is created, and He's done. He's done. Nothing else has been created since. Ever since that time, everything has procreated according to its kind. The heavens... And the earth and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it, he rested from all his work, which he had created and made. It's a finished creation. Our creator rested on the seventh day and set that pattern up for us for all the rest of time. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 4, it says, This is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created. So the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created includes all those complex critters fully formed. And at the pinnacle of those complex critters to have dominion and rule over them, mankind. One man, one woman, a literal Adam, literal Eve. Non 
negotiable truth. God's truth. This is the history. Any man, any woman, any professing Christian that dares to say Genesis is not history, it is allegory, it is myth, is a liar, and the truth is not in them. This is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created. When they were created. Genesis chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, continuing on our Bible bus tour. This is the book of the genealogy of Adam in the day that God created man. He made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them and called them mankind in the day they were created. Men, women, don't back up from the term mankind. It's mankind, according to God. It's mankind. Adam was created first, then Eve. Adam's created as head, Eve as helpmate to him at his side from his rib to be loved and honored and respected and cherished and provided for. Nevertheless, it's mankind. Don't back up from mankind because of feminist so-called truth. Right? No truth that sinful men come up with overrides God's truth. Let God's word be true and every man a liar. Whether it's Feminism or Freudism or Darwinianism. Let God's word be true and every man a liar. This is the book of the genealogy of Adam. Adam is a real man. All the major genealogies include Adam. A real man really created at the beginning by God. This is the book of the genealogy of Adam. In the day that God created man, he created him in the likeness of God. In the day that God created man. The day, not over millions of years, not over, you know, a few billion years. And finally, he he got, you know, I don't know, shaved because he was a monkey. So he got a good shave and then God breathed his spirit into him and behold, he's a man. He got his first shave kit. No, mankind created in the image of God from the beginning, male and female from the beginning, a literal Adam in the beginning. In a single day, Adam was created. In a single instant, on a single day, Adam was created. This is the book of the genealogy of Adam. In the day that God created man, he created created him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female. That's a whole other thing, right? The idea of going from a simple cell that's not male nor female to a complex life form with males and females who procreate. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. Behold your creator God. Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created on the face of the earth. I brought you into this world. I'll take you out. He's the creator. He's the creator. The creatures are accountable to the creator. He did not create them for sin. He did not create them for this evil intent of their hearts to be displayed forever on the earth. And so he brought judgment to all mankind, in fact, to all the world, in a global flood and wiped them out because he's the creator and we're accountable to our creator. Behold your creator God, to whom you are accountable, and all mankind with you. And we don't apologize for our Creator God 
to whom all creatures are accountable for allowing a species to be wiped out of existence, whether it's through natural causes or through man's foolishness. We don't cry out against God for bringing judgment on the species of man created in His image. Oh yes, precious and yet wicked. And God the just judge brings judgment according to His justice and the way that He prescribes once in worldwide flood and yet to come in worldwide, in fact, universe-wide, cosmos-wide fire. Let's go from Genesis to Deuteronomy 4, verse 32. Deuteronomy 4, 32. Behold your Creator God. For ask now concerning the days that are past, which were before you, since the day that God created man on the earth. The day that God created man on the earth. There was a day that God created man on the earth. That is a consistent worldview of the Bible. Beginning to end. That there was a day that God created man on the earth. And that day is found in Genesis 1 and 2. Turn to Job chapter 40. Job chapter 40. We'll spend a little time in the Bible bus. Maybe we'll have lunch in the Bible bus here in Job chapter 40 through 42. Just before the Psalms. The end of Job. Moreover, the Lord answered Job and said, Shall the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? He who rebukes God... Let him answer it. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand over my mouth. Once I have spoken, but I will not answer. Yes, twice, but I will proceed no further. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Now prepare yourself like a man. Now prepare yourself like a man. Prepare yourself like a man. Prepare yourself like a creature. You are not God. You don't sit in judgment as God upon God. Upon anything God has done, anything God has decreed, anything God has judged, anything God has said, prepare yourself like a man. When you one day stand before God, like Job here stands before God, you'll be quite prepared like a man to put your hand over your mouth. And say, I spoke once, maybe twice, maybe way too many times, but I'm not going to speak now. I'll not cry out against you now. The one who contends with the Almighty, shall the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? I correct God in nothing. Some of you may have watched my conversation with Ben, the atheist in downtown Portland. Ben said, is there anything in the Bible that you, you would take issue with, you would correct? I said, no! I'm not in a position to correct God. No one is. You must humble yourself, my friend. And understand that between your two ears is the tiniest fraction of anything that can be called knowledge. When you consider all the knowledge that's available, when you consider all the knowledge of an infinite God, infinite in wisdom, who created all things, who's the author of history, ruling over it all, I'm not in a position to contend with God. I'm a mere man. No, I submit readily to everything between the two covers. Genesis to Revelation. It is God's truth and I'm in no position to question it. And by the way, all of God's cosmos comports with God's truth unless you put on lying 
lenses of naturalism. And then everywhere you look, you see lies. Because you have the lying lenses of the naturalistic worldview on. Throw those things away. That's a really bad prescription. It's the prescription of the devil. Put on the lenses of God's Word. And everywhere you look, you see that creation comports with the Creator's testimony of His act. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. That's how you should open the Bible every time. Okay, here goes. I'm a creature. You're God. I'm part of mankind. You're God. I'm not the judge. You're the judge. Here goes. Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you. You shall answer me. Would you indeed annul my judgment? Would you condemn me that you may be justified? And that's exactly what sinners are doing. Mind you, that's what all the naturalism, that's what all the atheism, that's what all the Big Bang cosmology and evolution, that's what's at the heart of it. All that pseudoscience, all that knowledge and science falsely so-called, at the heart of it, they're raging against God, their judge. They're raging against His judicial decrees. They're raging against His design even for man and woman and gender and sexuality. They don't want to be submitted to God and they don't want to be cast into hell by God. And so they've taken up arms against heaven. The arms of naturalism, atheism, Big Bang cosmology and evolution. Would you indeed annul my judgment? Would you condemn me that you may be justified? Have you an arm like God? Are you mighty? Do you have infinite strength, power? Have you an arm like God? Or can you thunder with a voice like His? Then adorn yourself with majesty and splendor. Go ahead. Go ahead. And array yourself with glory and beauty. Disperse the rage of your wrath. Look on everyone who is proud and humble him. Look on everyone who is proud and bring him low. Tread down the wicked in their place. Hide them in the dust of the earth. Bind their faces in hidden darkness. Then I will also confess to you that your own right hand can save you. Look now at the behemoth which I made along with you. On that same day, by the way, God made the behemoth. He made the the land creatures, and the same day he made man. And then he brought them to man, that man might have dominion over them and name them. On that same day, creature, look at the other creatures. Look now at Behemoth, which I made along with you. He eats grass like an ox. See, now his strength is in his hips, and his power is in his stomach muscles. He moves his tail like a cedar, and the sinews of his thighs are tightly knit. His bones are like the beams of bronze. His ribs are like bars of iron. He is the first of the ways of God. Only he who made him can bring near his sword. Surely the mountains yield food for him, and all the beasts of the field play there. He lies under the lotus trees in a covert of reeds and marsh. The lotus trees cover him with their shade, and the willows by the brook surround him. Indeed, the river may rage, yet he is not disturbed. He is confident, though the Jordan gushes into his mouth, though he takes it in his eyes, or one pierces his nose with a snare. Consider Behemoth. Chapter 41, can you draw out Leviathan with a hook? Or snare his tongue with a line which you lower? Do I know what behemoth is? I don't. Do I know what Leviathan is? I don't. Except that he's a creature that God created. A creature of great power and might. A creature well known to Job. Well known to other men. A creature they feared for its power and its might. 
a good creature to draw attention to. I once stood before a grizzly bear. I know what a grizzly bear is. It wasn't wiped out by a worldwide flood or a changed environment after the flood. It's still on the earth. I once stood before a grizzly bear, well aware of what it was, well aware of its power, well aware of the fact that this trail had been closed for months because the last man to come down it had been eaten by that bear. I was well aware. And the fear of God was born in me. I was a young professing atheist in the middle of Montana's glorious Glacier National Park. And I came face to face with a modern day behemoth. And I was humbled as I should have been. Oh, I'm mighty man. Well, mighty man loves to go out and express his might in the wilderness and get eaten all the time. (laughs) God created some other mighty creatures on this earth. Oh, that we would be humble and not foolish. Can you draw out a Leviathan with a hook or snare his tongue with a line with which you lower? Can you put a reed through his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Will he make many supplications to you? Does Leviathan report to you? O master, will he speak softly to you? Will he make a covenant with you? Will you take him as a servant forever? Will you play with him as with a bird? Or will you leash him For your maidens, will your companions make a banquet of him? Will they appoint him among the merchants? Can you fill his skin with harpoons or his head with fishing spears? Lay your hand on him. Lay your hand on him. It's like a dare. Lay your hand on him. Remember the battle. Never do it again. I love it. I love it. You know, there are those professional bull riders and whatnot. And if you do it enough, you get better at it. But they don't ride them very long, do they? And then there are fools... And I certainly was once a young fool. But we had to have an official ban in my unit in the Marine Corps because men kept going to ride bulls. Everyone in the unit decided they were bull riders. And so they were going to these amateur bull riding contests in the weekend and coming back with broken arms and broken legs and broken ribs. And now they can't work. They can't be deployed to a field of combat to do their job. And eventually the, the commanding officer said, no more bull riding. Obviously, it's dangerous, but even the best bull riders, you watch them when they, when they get up after they get thrown, as they always do, they walk like they are an old man and they can barely move. And that, that arm that's under the rope, that thing is shot. It's toast, the shoulder, the wrist, the, it's all done because they dared to lay a hand on it. Verse 9, indeed, any hope of overcoming him is false. Shall one not be overwhelmed at the sight of him? No one is so fierce that he would dare stir him up. Who then is able to stand against me, says God? Behold, just one of my mighty creatures, just one of them. You won't go near him. Now, people go to Yellowstone and they lose their minds. They'll see buffalo and they just got to get that, that close picture and they just get closer and closer and closer. Have they ever heard of telephoto lens? And invariably, like every year, someone gets hurt or killed. Same with grizzly bears and moose. Oh, those moose are so cute. They're violent. They're killers. In other places of the world, you know, those hippos, oh, they're so cute. No, they're hungry. Haven't you heard? Hungry, hungry. (laughs) And they're powerful and dangerous, violent creatures. Oh, look at that alligator. Look how still it's holding. Oh, look at that. Let's get closer. 
See how still it is? And it's just a big lizard, right? They're slow. Oh my goodness. When they decide to move, you're done. The idea is these are mighty creatures God has created and, and we fear them as we ought. Would we not fear God who created them? The infinite might of God who created these mighty creatures? If you've ever been in a raging storm, which you kind of have to go to the Midwest to get into or down to Texas or something, to get into a raging storm with thunder and lightning bolts that are just unimaginable if you've lived up here all your life, it is awesome to behold. It is awesome to behold. If you've ever been at sea on a ship in a raging storm, it is awesome to behold and you feel so small. And weak, and your big, big, big aircraft carrier feels like a little boy's toy in a tub. It's humbling. It's good for you. Get outside now and again. Behold God's creation. It's good for you. No one is so fierce that he would dare stir him up. Who then is able to stand against me? Chapter 42, then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. Now that is a biblical worldview. Anything less than that is an unbiblical worldview. You are not a Bible believer if you can't join Job and say, I know that you can do everything. You have infinite wisdom, infinite power. This cosmos is nothing for you. God creating the cosmos is nothing. The question isn't, how could he do that in six days? The question is, why did he wait six days? He has infinite power, infinite wisdom. He wasn't figuring it out. He wasn't referencing the manual. You know, it took six days to do that project. It didn't take him six days. He took six days. It didn't take him 14 days billion years he took a few thousand to get us to this point for the drama of redemption and for his glory job answered the lord and said i know that you can do everything and no purpose of yours can be withheld from you you asked who is this who hides counsel without knowledge remember when you oppose god's knowledge you've just grabbed onto some lie either your new lie that you've fashioned or some old lie You asked, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. Remember that. All of these sciences, falsely so-called, they're just the utterings of men that don't understand, or worse, they do understand, but they suppress the truth and unrighteousness because they don't want to understand what they understand because that leads them to a God that is their creator, makes them the creature who is accountable, and they don't want to be accountable. You asked, who is it? Who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. I did not know. Dr. Dorset, the atheist professor with his lab coat and his Darwin fish on it in my Geology 101 class 20-some years ago, he taught dogmatically his atheistic worldview. And periodically he would interrupt his dogmatism with this. The only thing certain in science is that nothing is certain. Quote, unquote. The only thing certain in science is that nothing is certain. Then you really know nothing. Well, yeah, we don't actually know anything. We we have conjecture, we have theories. 
Well, that's because he rejected the God who knows everything. Thus, he can know nothing. And so let us join Job in a biblical worldview, grasping onto the God who knows everything and the revelation of some of that which God knows in order that we might know something and be of some use to God and our fellow man. I know that you can do everything. I know that. I know God can do everything. I know He has infinite power and infinite wisdom. I know that. That's a good starting point. And I can build from that. And no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You asked, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said, I will question you and you shall answer me. I have heard you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Will you not see God with Job through the revelation of God given to you? Job 42, verse 6, Therefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Oh, that our atheist, naturalistic, big bang cosmologist, evolutionist friends would join Job. I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. That's what's at stake in this contrast of worldviews. This is what's at stake. Repentance and salvation. I abhor myself and repent and dust and ashes. And so it was after the Lord had spoken these words to Job that the Lord said to Eliphaz the Timite, My wrath is aroused against you and your two friends, for you have not spoken to me what is right as my servant Job has. Now obviously this has a certain context as to God's allowance of Job's many sufferings and so forth and the terrible counsel they gave, but we can make an application to those who in our day do not speak rightly, but contradict God's truth, God's word. There is some level of judgment for that. Well, the Bible bus is slow today. It is slow. So here we are in Job 42. We're about halfway on our Bible tour. At the end of our Bible tour, we're going to behold some of God's glories and God's creative acts with some of the facts rightly observed once again. And so I look forward to doing that next time. Behold the glory of God, your creator, part two next week. We'll get back on the Bible bus. So bring your sack lunch and we'll be blessed. Let's pray.